0: Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are such a wonderful, loving Father. Thank you that you are with us in the midst of every storm and that your children are your your precious treasure. And we thank you that you love us so much and that you watch over us Doesn't mean that storms won't come, but you're with us, not only on the mountaintop, but in the valleys. And we thank you, Lord, that we acknowledge you and we give you all the glory and praise and we continue to pray for all those who've been affected by uh, sickness from COVID and from other things, Lord, and uh, even from things associated with COVID. with that, and from the, the winter storm that we've just been through, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that, uh, as your word says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. And, Lord, we were so blessed, and it warmed up yesterday, and the sun came out. It was just wonderful to see everybody just getting it done. And we just thank you, Lord, and love you, and we just ask that you fill us with your word today, the seed of your precious manna from heaven and that you help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be helped, healed everywhere we hurt, empowered by your promises and have revelation of your love and prosperity and we thank you Lord that we overflow and help others with the same help we've received in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God is uh, God is a God of abundance. God is a God of abundance. He is abundant in His grace. He's abundant with His love. He's abundant with His provision. He's not broke. He's not a cheapskate. It all belongs to Him. And we are his children. To know God properly. With a well balanced understanding. Maybe some of you understand what I mean by that. About abundance. And we need to talk about it a little bit. But to describe God as anything less than a God of abundance in every way uh, would be not giving him the credit he is due. The only way to understand it, though, is through revelation. And the only way to have revelation is through restoration. Look in the book of Jeremiah. I'll start with a familiar passage of scripture in Jeremiah twenty nine. I'll just read it off my binder here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven. But don't stop reading there. Because you see that it's God's desire and His intent to prosper us, to give us hope in a future, not to do us harm. But read on and look at the relational port, part. Because we always talk about the fact that it's a relationship, just like any good marriage or any good relationship, it's a it's a give give. The next verse says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. How realistic is that? (laughs) You will seek me and find me. All right. When you seek me with all your heart. Oh, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places I've driven you. Look over, skip a page over to Jeremiah 30. Look at the 12th verse. Because I want to tell you, God's going to show you a picture of us. Apart from Him. And without acknowledging the depth of our hopelessness, our total lack of self help, ability to restore ourselves, our, and recognizing and acknowledging before Him our need for that restoration. And that we are incurable in and of our own selves. There is no restoration. He points that out to the people of Israel. And remember everything is type and shadow in the Old Testament. When we talk about Israel. He's talking about that great city. talking about the church. He's talking about you now. Verse 12. Chapter 30. For thus says the Lord. Your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous there is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you all your lovers have forgotten you there they care nothing for you for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe because your guilt is great because your sins are flagrant. why do you cry out over your hurt your pain's incurable <laughs> I laugh because there's good news at the end. Hello. (laughs) But I look at the arrogance of man apart from him and those who try to create a righteousness of their own apart from God. And I read what God says about the condition of man apart from him and it hurts. Look over a couple more pages to the 33rd chapter, I'd love to go through this whole book with you, Jeremiah, sort of the reluctant prophet, like I was. <laughs> Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. I love that scripture. He longs for that relationship. But he, he, he's saying you have, to, you have to want it. You have to want me. You have to seek me. You have to call out to me. I'm longing to show you these, these wonderful treasures and things that you never knew. I want to be in relationship with you. Go down to the 6th verse. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. There's so much in that. Only God can cure the problem. The problem is what? Sin. And it has to be dealt with. So God, in his abundant counsel, determinate counsel, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, <laughs> devised the greatest military, political, spiritual battle plan and and. Accomplish the greatest victory ever achieved. When we're cleansed from sin and rebellion, and it's all pardoned, then God can help us, right? I think everyone here is called out to the Lord to come into their heart and be their Lord and Savior and you know there's repentance required that part repent of your sins and call upon the Lord but there's three things that God is showing us here and I just mentioned them in all of those scriptures what all that says is that he is a god of abundance and there's there's a method And a a meaning to it all. The three things that he's talking about here. First of all is restoration. God is the only one who can restore a human soul. It's a sovereign act of God on behalf of his people. And what he's doing is he's, he's, he's giving us back everything that sin has robbed us of. Amen. Amen. That's His desire. And once the restoration is accomplished, then revelation is available. Revelation comes out of the restoration. And it's essential that we really are restored so that we can hear God. You see all the times it. That, God, that Jesus talked about people not having ears to hear or eyes to see, and they all had eyes and ears. Well, we need that spiritual hearing and spiritual sight so that we can get revelation knowledge of what God is trying to do. And I can tell you now, without a shadow of a doubt, that we are living in a time when God is restoring the nation of Israel and His and the bride of Christ the church Amen. the body of Christ yes it's an exciting time to be alive once we've been restored and we begin to get revelation we can understand through that revelation The God of abundance. Restoration, then revelation of abundance. I believe that the wealth of the nations is laid up for God's people. That's what it talks about in Proverbs 13. God is restoring his people. But you have to have revelation of it, to believe it, so that you can be a partaker of it. It's that simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. But as it is written What no eye has seen Nor ear heard Nor the heart of man imagined What God has prepared for those who love him I used to read that And I would say Oh that's amazing God has prepared Wonderful things for us And I can't even imagine it It's so wonderful Boy am I looking forward to that It's beyond me to even comprehend. And I would leave it at that. Just just believe it by faith and look forward to it because it's going to be awesome. That's true in a sense, but that's not what this is saying. Keep reading. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths so that those who are spiritual to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not, or the carnal or worldly person, the un. Restored person, the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, or foolishness, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord, so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. We were there last week, right? Mm-hmm. Or the week before, or every week. Mm-hmm. God takes us on a path, you mm-hmm. see. It has to come by revelation, though. You grow in the grace and knowledge, the knowing of God. Through his word and with the help of the Holy Spirit who is in you. The revelation that we need to understand the God of abundance only comes from the Holy Spirit. That 14th verse there, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So they... They don't have the ability to even comprehend God's abundance. But with the mind of Christ, which is in us, in our born-again spirits, we do. We do. It's not a mystery. God's mystery, God's big secret, was Jesus. And now, we have, we have come to know That thing, that person, that great mystery that all the prophets of old longed for. That Abraham and Moses and Joshua and all of them died waiting for and looking forward to. And that David saw in visions and talked about all of the prophecies about Jesus as they saw him. They never got to know him. Jesus said the greatest person who ever lived, of course, not counting himself, was John the Baptist. And then he said, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. My God. Can I tell you that Through the restoration, we have the revelation of the great abundance that God has bestowed on us as his children. And it's for one purpose. For God's glory. For God to be glorified. That's it. Not for human satisfaction. Oh, he doesn't want me to be happy or. Have anything? Of course he does. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. Amen. That's God's will. Mm-hmm. That's God's desire for you. But Jeremiah 33 9, which I read a moment ago, says that it was he was going to restore all these things. Everything the devil has stolen from us through sin and the fall of Mankind, he's restoring it back and he's going to shower us with this life of abundance and prosperity. Why? To make others fear and tremble. To make others fear and tremble God by looking at Israel and at the church and saying, wow, look what God has done for them. It brings God glory for us to be in a life of abundance. Now, I want to get into a description of that. Because I think it's been misused, mistaught in some cases. Uh, There are lots of words associated with abundance, okay, in the Bible. And in people's minds and hearts. Rich. Riches is used in the Bible. Wealth and wealthy. All used in the Bible. What does this mean? What, it implies that a person has lots of money. <laughs> uh, and or properties and things like that. Right? To be rich is to have great wealth. Material possessions. and Money. Uh, prosperity. Is a big, big thing. Entire churches are based on prosperity message. And so you can use the words prosperous and prosper to go with that. But really, in the Bible, the the Bible that I read, (laughs) which is the same for everyone and just different translations, but that's because these languages are hard to translate. And they're, they're more than one word that you can use for some of the words. That's why you have the different translations and some are easier to read, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I've found over the years is uh, because there are some people that are just stuck on uh, the King James and anything else is just of the devil and so forth. That's, that's not true. And the Bible you need is the Bible you read, and the Bible that, the translation you need is the one that will translate into your heart. Amen. Amen. There are some problems with some of the translations that I believe are uh, error, and they can be very damaging. Uh, uh, For instance, the NIV is the one that God uh, uh, introduced himself to me through and and, uh, built our relationship through. And then he also showed me the errors in that Bible. He led me to that understanding and that teaching, and I went and found the truth. He'll always give you the truth when you really want it. Amen? Amen. But it's beautiful to read, and it's easy to read, and I, I love it. And I still use, and, and most of the pastors that criticize it, they still quote it often. <laughs> you see? Because they did a great job in many ways. So anyway, there's lots of things we could talk about in that regard, but it's not necessary right now but i told you before third john 2 says that god wants us to prosper and be in good health even as our soul prosper there's a correlation there again there's that relationship there's always a relationship pointed out somewhere part for you to play part for me to play just like any good relationship there's responsibilities and duties for every person in that relationship Depending on the type of relationship that it is. And if you don't fulfill your obligation, that relationship is going to suffer. The other person is going to suffer because of it. And to think that you can make God suffer, you may scoff at that, but you can. Why would it say don't grieve the Holy Spirit if you can't grieve Him? God has a soul. We're created in His image, aren't we? Yes. I want to look at a real example from the Bible, so we're more clear on this about about uh, prosperity. Uh, in my Bible, I always there's something very interesting. There's a story that Paul wrote, and then and then uh, the good doctor Luke commented on it. And they are on a page side by side in your Bible. It just so happens. Um, In Romans chapter 1. Paul is praying that he may come to the believers in Rome. And he's telling them, I long to see you. Let's see. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged in each other's faith, both yours and mine. In the King James Version, that same verse says that I might might have a prosperous journey by the, to come and see you. A prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. See how I have this underlined here and then I wrote what it says in the King James over here? Yeah. <laughs> because I thought it was important because when others uh, took more liberties in their translation, the King James, when they didn't understand something, they didn't try to fix it. They just wrote it like it was and said, oh, whatever. We don't get it, but that's what it said in the Greek or in the... You see? That journey, Paul took it. The page opposite that is the end of Acts. The last chapter of Acts is Acts 28. And so in Acts 27 and 28, Paul describes that journey. Isn't that interesting? Not everything is chronological in the Bible. So he tells, Luke tells about the, story, the, the journey in, in Acts, and then Paul's book of Romans mentions how he had prayed for that journey, which is after Acts, so it's not a big deal. The thing is, Paul was praying to have a, a prosperous journey to go to Rome, and he did go. The way he went was not a luxury, was not <laughs> first class travel. It wasn't a luxury trip. Uh, His account is laid out in those two chapters, and you just have to read it for yourself. But I'll tell you this. He went through a lot of hardships. He was in chains, for starters. He was a prisoner. And he was in a terrible storm at sea. It lasted for two weeks, which ended in a shipwreck. And they ended up deserted on an island, which turned out later that we find to be Malta. While he was there, uh, he was gathering fire for uh, wood for the fire, and a viper, a snake, bit him and latched onto his hand. And they all thought he was going to die. And he just shook it off, and went on about his business. And God, they were amazed by that. And so the Holy Spirit began to do a great Move on that island and uh, basically revival broke out on that island. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they took a ship from there that had wintered there and they went on and they stayed a few days in another place and then they got to Rome. So he made it. It was not what the world would call a prosperous journey. But that's not true. It was a prosperous journey. Because he accomplished the will of God. It wasn't extravagant. But anytime we fulfill God's purpose. Then we're successful at what we were Attempting to do. And that success. Means we were prosperous in it. Amen. Amen. There's nothing higher than God's purpose for our life. So when we think of terms of prosperity in the Bible. We don't necessarily. Want to think in terms of money. Or owning a lot. But in terms of succeeding in what God has commissioned us to do. Amen? Amen? Another example from the Bible is Joseph. I think I mentioned last week or the week before how Joseph's brothers' brothers were jealous of him and they were going to kill him, and instead they threw him into a pit. And then they got there was a, a caravan going by. And they took him out and they They put him into slavery, basically. Sent him off to Egypt with that caravan. And the Bible goes on discussing and talking about Joseph's life. As he was in slavery, in bondage, he went there, he was serving as a slave in Potiphar's house. His wife, Potiphar's wife, wanted uh, Joseph and he wouldn't do it. He didn't want to dishonor God. And he ran away and what he did, she I guess grabbed his cloth or whatever he wore back then and ran out naked. Anyway, she accused him of something he didn't do. He went to prison for it. In prison, he did some wonderful things through the Holy Spirit's help. Baker and the butler. And then they got out and they forgot to mention him to Pharaoh as they would promised. And it seemed like things were going really terrible for this young man. But you know the Bible says in Genesis chapter 38, you can read, and in 39, the second verse specifically, it says that he, he, he was prosperous. In, in everything that he did, he was prosperous. Paul was prosperous in his journey. <coughs> when he got to Rome... You know, he stayed in chains for the next two years. He he got to live in a house that he paid for out of his own money. But he ministered to people for those whole two years. They came to him and ministered and they killed him. But he accomplished the will of God. And he wrote about a third of this New Testament. So, we talked about riches and prosperity. But we're talking about a God of abundance. So, what are words like abound? You see in the word abound and riches and abounding and abundance. A God of abundance. So, we're seeing that it doesn't necessarily mean that we have lots of money or material wealth. What it does mean is that we always have enough to meet our needs with something left over for others. The Christian is the only one in this world who has a business partner, who's unseen, that... Once they really get a revelation knowledge. I, you, you don't see me preaching on the tithes. Because I don't want people to do it. Reluctantly. Because if it's not motivated by love. And through revelation. Then it's not going to benefit you anyway. There's the truth. Is it a good thing to do? To give the first tenth to God? Absolutely. But. But. The Christian is the only one that can take 90 cents and do more than the world can with a dollar. (laughs) Because of that. And with the 90 that's left, take care of all their needs and have something left over for offerings Apart from the tithe and to do good to others as God shows you. That doesn't mean that, oh, I'm supposed to go buy lunch for everybody at work every day or pay everybody's bar tab. I used to think that was a good thing. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. Oh Andrew Womack, who I talk about a lot, he says if somebody ever asks him for something it disqualifies them. Because God's gonna show him who to give to. Now that's just him. I don't know. <laughs> a good example of abundance is if you go if you go shopping and you need a hundred dollars worth of groceries and you got eighty dollars. You're shopping out of lack. You're shopping from your lack. If you go and buy $100 worth of groceries and that's what you needed, then you're, uh, then you're shopping out of your sufficiency. God bless you. That's, that's sufficient. It's just right. If you go shopping, you need that $100 worth of groceries and you have $120, then you're shopping out of abundance. If you go shopping, and you think that you are living as you are supposed to as a Christian, because God will provide all my need according to His riches and glory, and you go and you put that $100 worth of groceries or anything else on a maxed out credit card that you're not paying off every month, and you're already paying 20% interest on it, that's part of the curse. That's not a blessing. Amen. And to say God's going to provide all you need. He might. But it'll be a miracle now. Not the blessing. Amen. And you did that. You know why you did it? Because you didn't trust God. Or you weren't patient with God. To provide his, in His way. In His time. And you didn't. You didn't believe him for, or you didn't believe him for it, or you didn't sow a seed to meet your need, or something else that you weren't in cooperation with God regarding. And I'm not saying this to make anyone feel condemned. I have debt of my own that is not of God, and I'm doing everything I can this year to get it underway, uh, taken care of, because He wants me to, because He wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. So I'm, it's, 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 it's to enable us, okay, and to inspire us and to show us that we have a part to play and that we, there's something that can be done about it. Now, believe me, when we even, I talk about how important our words are and how we're sowing seed with our words all the time. But, but, but you know how I always say, well, the good thing about a Christian is because you're going to reap a harvest of what you sow. More than you sow, the same type that you sow, later than you sow. So if you've been going around spitting out uh, gossip and slander and bitterness and hatred and all that, you're going to get a crop of that. It might come back to you. It'll come back in the same form and it also can come back on you in sickness and everything else. But the good thing about a Christian is you can believe for some crop failure now. Yes, amen. If you go to God and you <laughs> repent and you <laughs> just get your shovel out and start digging that stuff up because... It's going to be okay. Amen. You've got an awesome God and nothing's too big for Him. There's no place you can go and hide that His grace will not find you and overtake you and overwhelm you and prove to you that He is the God of abundance. Amen. That's right. The opposite of abundance is to be poor. To to operate in poverty or want or need or lack or to... Or fail, or failure. Those words are all associated with the curse. Not with God. Jesus bore that curse on His body on the tree. And everything you see in Deuteronomy 28 having to do with the curse. You can say, hey, that's part of what Jesus took on His body on the cross. You see, He he was the essence of poverty and poorness. When he hung there naked and destitute, suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both temporarily. He did that for you. So you don't have to endure that ever again. And when you recognize one aspect of the curse upon your life, call it what it is. Command it to leave. Go to God. Talk to your father about it. Repent of any part you had to play in it and say, Lord, I want out of this. And I command it to go in Jesus' name. And from now on, I'm doing nothing but living in the blessing. Show me how. Show me how to walk this out, Lord. And you're going to take together, take a hold together with me, Holy Spirit, and walk me out of this valley right up onto the mountaintop. Amen. He's faithful. Jesus' earthly ministry was the perfect example uh, that exemplified abundance. Wouldn't you have a proper? Wouldn't you rather have a proper perspective on prosperity and abundance than some of the nonsense that goes on? Okay, good. <laughs> Some people think that Jesus was poor. Some others preach that he was wealthy and had great material wealth. And I will not question their motives. I can tell you this. Jesus depended on others to meet his needs. And now, the Bible is... Full. This is scriptural for all ministers, actually. This is the way ministers are to make their living. Mm-hmm. If you preach the gospel, you're to make your living from the gospel. Mm-hmm. Does God despise my job? No. Paul himself worked a job just to keep the critics the critics quiet while he was trudging along working together with the holy spirit to build the early church he had enough problems coming against him he didn't need any naysayers or people criticizing him for taking money so he decided to work none of the other apostles did that and they didn't need to and i think paul himself in his later years he wrote to timothy he said he told timothy The the hard-working farmer should be the first to partake of the crops. Pray about this and you'll see what I'm talking about. So you get it. Right. Don't muzzle the ox while he treads out the grain. There's all sorts of scriptures. So don't get mad at preachers for making their living from the gospel. They're supposed to. But Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. But he never was without one. Okay? He fed the multitudes. We've been talking about the miracles of the fishes and the loaves. To feed over ten thousand people, it was five thousand plus women and children having with with a few loaves of and a, a few fish. That is not poverty, folks. That's abundance. But you know, even then, he didn't use his own lunch to do it with. <laughs> he, ne- he depended on someone else. <clears throat> Peter opened his mouth. <laughs> Peter is encouraging to all of us. That's why we make fun of him. But Peter was a wonderful man of faith. And he was ended up crucified upside down alongside his wife. So he got it right. But I still like to make fun of some of his mistakes. Jesus, they asked, they were always trying to trick and trap Jesus. They always wanted to kill him. They were jealous of him, the religious leaders of the day. But they asked him, you pay the temple tax? And Peter jumped in, yeah. And Jesus just looked at him like, speak when, you're, <laughs> when I tell you to. <laughs> So he sends Peter, he says, okay, he sends Peter down to the Sea of Galilee. He said, go throw a hook in the water, not with a bait on it, just a hook, and you'll pull out a fish, and the first fish you pull out will have a coin in his mouth, and it paid not only Jesus' temple tax, but Peter's also. (coughs) That's abundance, folks. He passed this on to his disciples too, didn't he? Remember when he sent them out? He said, "Don't take don't take any extra stuff, don't take any money or supplies. Don't take anything extra. Just go." And he checked up on them later, didn't he? Do you remember at the end of his toward the end of his ministry in Luke 22, Verse 35, he asked them, he said, how did, how did it go? Did you lack anything when I sent you out without anything? They said, we lacked nothing. That's abundance. When Joseph was in prison, I failed to mention a while ago that the Bible says, There were two things. I'm always trying to point out this relationship because that's what I'm trying to grow you in or help you to point you to is to know how much God longs to be in an amazing relationship with you. He is jealous for you. But it says that Joseph prospered in everything he did. Why? Because he trusted in God. And because he trusted in God, God was with him. I will keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on me, says the Lord, because they trust me. These disciples, they went out, they did what they were supposed to be. They didn't lack anything. They did everything Jesus sent them out to do. Although they were constantly ministering of themselves to others' needs. The world would not call this abundance or wealth by human standards or worldly standards. It's not. But they don't have a father who owns everything and who has promised that they will never lack anything you hear wonderful songs and stories and things like that all the time in the world we're all God's children folks that's not true i wish it were can i just tell you there are a lot of things you know and even in our political atmosphere i remember when i was on the other side of things i was big on the other side of things i was I served on the other side of things not only not only to the state convention was i a delegate but on the nominating committee working for an elected one of those other sides <laughs> All the things that they stand for that I preach against, I really wish I could say it's okay. Honestly, do. I have a sister who lives, you know, that way. I wish I could say it's okay. I love her so much. I can't. I cannot. If God said it, that settles it. That's That's all I can say. I have no choice. I have to bear my cross daily. That means when I come to that crossroads every day where I wish I could just say, that's all right, but God says it isn't, I have to agree with Him. That's bearing my cross. So, God of abundance living the abundant life we're not focusing on how to be rich i'm sorry to tell you that <laughs> is are you going to go to hell if you get rich no i hope every one of you i have a caveat to this are get wealth beyond measure like solomon As long as God is in it, and you are good stewards of everything he has given you, and it doesn't overwhelm you or drive you to sin, then it's okay. And then it's okay with him too, you see. But why would he give you anything that he knows is going to destroy you? He loves you too much. First Timothy chapter six, verses nine and ten talks about be, be beware if you desire to be rich, because it can bring lots of trouble on you. Bring a snare. You can read what it says exactly, but it, it's a warning against those who want to be rich. It does it's not a it's 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 the desire, it's the motivation, you see. It's all about the motive with God. He looks at the heart. We look on the outward man. God looks on the heart. Just like with Balaam, when, he, when God told him to go with those men who wanted him to go, and they wanted to give him a lot of money to curse the people of Israel, he told him no at first, and then Balaam went back, and he said he, he asked him if he could, should go, and he told him go. Go with them, but do just what I tell you. The next morning he took off and left with him and God was mad at him that he went. What? That used to, it freaked me out when I read it. You just told him to go and you were mad when he went. I need your help here, Lord. It was his motive in his heart. He was not going out of obedience to what God had told him to do. He thought there was still a way where he could do what God said and still finagle the money out of the others too. And God saw that in his heart and he said, I was fixing to kill you had that donkey not ran you into that wall. Don't hit that donkey no more. (laughs) God's abundance is sometimes manifested in ways that the world doesn't expect or understand. They can't understand things that are done by the Holy Spirit. So don't get mad, but feeding Ten thousand people in a desert deserted place, a dry, barren place with the little boys sack lunch is, is pretty abundant. They never lack for anything. They are always giving of themselves, ministering to the needs of others, and that's abundance. God loves you. He wants to restore you completely. He wants to give you revelation knowledge. He wants the light bulbs to go on so that you see these spiritual truths so that you can take hold of the promises. Now, we're going to go further with this, but not this week. But he wants... I just wanted you to get a, a revelation, an understanding of what an abundant God looks like and what, what that abundance really means. Because a lot of people are taught Wrong. But he wants to bless you with an abundant life of grace and love and provision. Isaiah 53, and I'll close here. Isaiah 53, 1. Says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's that's an interesting scripture. But God all throughout the Bible is compared in many ways to a human being you know what I'm saying with eyes and and ears and feet right that's because we're created in his image spiritually and physically that's the truth and he has a soul as well that's why he has emotions, and that's why we can hurt him and all that stuff, and, and, and we shouldn't laugh at that. It's true. But listen to this. Keep in mind in that, that scripture I just read. In Psalms, chapter 8, verse 3, it says that God created the universe with his fingers. All the cosmos, the planets, the stars, the universe, the galaxies, all done with his fingers. And then in Hebrews one ten, it says he formed the earth with his hand. More strength needed. More strength in your hand than in your fingers, right? Mm -hmm. So the place he was going to put his wonderful masterpiece, his family, his creation, exerted more strength and more power than it did the whole cosmos and universes and planets and all the other things, the galaxies. But look at this, in Isaiah 53, 1 that I just read to you, it, it says that the work of redemption took the arm of God... The entire chapter in Isaiah fifty three is is about because we talk about it all the time about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord help me if I ever minister a message where I do not glorify God by acknowledging the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. On the cross of Calvary. But God had to roll up his sleeve. To redeem us from Satan's curse and Adam's fall. To raise Jesus from the dead. It took what the Bible refers to in Ephesians 1.19. The exceeding greatness of his power. Anyone can look at the heavens and the stars and the, the planets nowadays with all that they have out there and they can see the work of his fingers. Anyone can look around this beautiful earth and see all the animals and the mountains and the oceans and all the wonderful creation of God in this world that he did with his hand. But only those who put their trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, can see the work of God's arm. You have to have a revelation from the Holy Spirit after restoration for you to see what God has exerted all of his strength of his arm to do on your behalf. He loves you and... Just know that the arm of the Lord is revealed only to his children. And he's right there. It's a strong arm. And it's there for you. Not to harm you, but to prosper you and give you hope and a future from the God of abundance. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for helping us to understand and to latch hold of these truths and make them our own so that we have greater revelation, knowledge of you that we have gained after we have been restored through the salvation that we've claimed in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for leading us into a life of abundance, prosperity and peace and love and joy and grace. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.